and welcome back to the I'm There podcast, guys. I'm your host, Freyway. I'm here with my co-host, Kenny, and we have a special mm-hmm. guest today with us. We have one of my long-term friends in the community and just somebody who I always have interesting conversations with. Uh, also, one of the craziest duels I know, and my guy from Be More, we got Roly in the building today. Uh, so, Kenny, Roly, Roly, Kenny. How you doing? How you doing? How's it going, Roly? How are you feeling? I'm feeling good. I'm feeling good. You know, waiting for the format to shift out yeah Yu-Gi-Oh is in a really weird spot right now because the tier element deck uh you know as dominant as it is i've been seeing a lot of people choosing to not play it right now which is interesting because it is considered to be like oh tier zero i guess or whatever but at the same time a lot of people are playing flunderies i see a lot more sprite players all of a sudden and recently i'm even seeing people going back to sky strikers which i just feel like that is an abusive relationship (laughs) <laughs> like there's no reason you should be playing that fucking deck in 2023 so let me just say happy new year but put the goddamn sky strikers down please yeah, but, but what if you just pulled an ulti ray you know and you just you want to put her to good use <laughs> nah fuck that that gets so bad now. i can't imagine there's a reason to still be playing sky striker when you can play so many other decks that are way better and mystic mind is officially banned so I don't even know what your win condition is anymore. Like, I actually don't know what the Sky Striker decklist look like. I mean, maybe my friend Jeff Strain can, like, show me what it looks like because he's playing it. But other than that, I don't know why you'd be playing that deck right now. But, yeah. Nostalgia. That deck is, like, the BA deck of the modern era. That's true. That is actually yeah. the best way to describe it, too. It is definitely the BA. And before BA, it used to be Glabbies, right? Remember every time yeah, a new Highly favored. Yes. Every time the barrels came out, you had everybody like, oh, Glad Beasts are playable again. And they were just never playable ever. But people wanted it to be. And so it became BA. And now it's I now I feel like Ray is Bay is just hanging on by a thread, like an actual thread. But like what are you what are you looking forward to as far as uh the format change? Because from what I know, and I only noticed from uh Kenny's cousin Stango, but he told me that the Kosh Terra deck is supposed to be outrageous that's coming out really soon when it gets all of its cards and stuff. Oh, yeah. That's one of, like, the main things I'm looking forward to is bringing, like, a new mechanic to the game by being able to, like, remove the cards face down. So it's, like, no way to, like, applicate getting those back. So I think that's just making the game better because it's, like, it's refreshing it. So in that sense, it's, like, always good that things are changing and happening because you don't want to just be stale and i think previously with what you were saying people aren't playing the tier deck because like the format has became stale like you don't want to be forced into something just to win because then you take out the enjoyment of what we're doing and first of all it's a hobby so yeah that's true and i see like i said a lot of people gravitating away from it even though i think everyone agrees like it is the best deck it's winning the most tournaments all that stuff it's stuff that we already know but at the end of every year, I feel like Yu-Gi-Oh! gets into this weird spot where no new products have come out to really shake the game up. Usually there's not a ban list around December, January. So whatever the format was in November is kind of what you're forced to play for like two months. And in Yu-Gi-Oh! terms, two months is a long time. Yeah, it's a super long time to sit. And then also the other decks are just so fair, like outside of the Flunder deck. They're all just so fair when you compare them to the tier deck. So I have a question. <laughs> so you said that uh, outside of the, the Flunderies deck. So what makes 
the flow deck actually unfair? Because I'm starting to see people who are YCS champion level, people who go to every event, people who top a lot, they are now playing flow. And I don't think it's a meme anymore. I think that people legitimately believe that deck is very real, which I, on the outside looking in, I've always said like, you know, I troll on Facebook and I always, every month I put Rabina F just as a status. And I get a lot of, back then, like months ago when I was doing it, I was getting a lot of angry reacts from people, which is funny. But now it's it's gotten to the point where I feel like everyone is slowly respecting the flow deck is like, this is a real fucking deck. Like, it's good. I think the transition from people feeling as though it was just a helmet deck yeah. with summon statue to the point now it can contest what is the best deck because the the deck was always just the new age monarch deck yeah it breaks but pending its consistency it can blow you out the water like the monarch extra deck like that deck with um yeah, Knight and, yeah that deck so with, with that being said it's like it has so many tools it has everything you need to be one of the best decks. It can play on your opponent's turn. It can set up floods, cards with one line of text that it doesn't have. Like, it can search them. So yeah. that, that deck is just, it's just good. And then, like, the mirror match, the mirror match isn't free because that's a mirror match of skill because, like, the deck has so many small interactions and those show who's, like, the better technical Yu-Gi-Oh player. So I think that's why the older pros gravitate to that deck as well. It's so, no RNG either. So you're right, which is what tier element has a lot of RNG involved. And obviously, you know, yeah. milling five cards, anything could happen. But the float deck kind of does its thing. And it, from what I understand, it is very similar to 2016 Monarchs in the sense that once it gets started, it's kind of like the craziest fucking deck ever. Like once yeah, it's just going to roll you out. Yes, it just, it does not stop once it starts. You have to literally put them down, like kill them, or else you're going to get out carded and out advantaged really quick. And uh, I, I know that feeling because I remember I didn't respect Domain Monarchs back in 2016, especially that Nationals. Like, I think I was still playing Cosmo and <laughs> yeah, crazy. Right. And then I remember playing at Nationals and I played against a Monarch player and I actually won game one and he backdoor to owe me. And when I tell you that those next two games were not close, I think he just brick game one. Like, I think game one, he just didn't play a card. And I was just like summon farm girl attack and OTK them. And then game two and three, he drew playable. And I didn't get to play at all. Like, it wasn't even fucking close. I remember looking at the end of game two, and he had plus seven on me. And, like, I was never going to touch his life points again. And then game three, like, I was afraid when I went into my side deck for game three. I was like, yo, I just got fucking bodied. And all he did was open up pantheism this time, as opposed to, like, draw pass. And I got absolutely bodied. So I was like, yeah, I don't like this. So I saw... Like, Jerry comes to Philly Regionals, and uh, he was telling me, like, he's playing, what's the deck? The Sword Soul deck. He's playing Sword Soul, and he was telling me, like, even even as consistent as powerful as Sword Soul is, he's like, I do not want to play against that Flundry's deck. Like, that shit is absolutely bull. It's, like, the most nonsense. Once they start playing, it is just too much. For your deck to be competitive now in the game, it has to do, like, immensely unfair things. And I yeah. think that's what people get upset at. Because the average quote quote best deck yeah. does things that are unfair to the other six to eight decks within the format. So Yeah. And the Akash Tira deck adds an element of uh, a lot of banishing and also this mechanic of getting rid of your opponent's monster zones, which is that's not something we've really seen be competitive before, where from what I understand, I saw a combo 
And I think it was a one car combo, if I'm not mistaken, where the guy literally took all five of his opponent's zones. <laughs> like I, yeah, that's the. <laughs> is that real? That's the unit. Yeah, that's the unicorn combo. Yeah, like I think that he literally yeah. started off with like either Fenrir or something, and next thing I know, he linked in or not linked, but he like exceeds into a guy, and then all of these things started happening. And as he kept summoning guys, it just kept taking away a monster zone on the other side. And eventually got to the point where they just didn't have zones. <laughs> I was like, what the fuck? And they ojama them. They hit him with the yeah. ojama. Yeah, the good old ojama king. But that's cool. I love ojama king. I also like, I didn't play during this time, but I liked uh, whatever format it was. Not that I liked it because I didn't play it. I only know about it from YouTube videos. But I like the idea of whichever format it was where the, you would link summon all the way around into the other link oh, monster yeah, zone. Linking, I think they call it. <laughs> the U link. The U link. Yeah. Look at those like, boomers. Who- yeah, like gooky format stuff yes. like that. Yeah. That shit's cool. Yeah, that and format it was, was wild. It was during the time when you only could extra deck summon if you had that zone available to like... Yeah. So, so they, they would steal it. it from you and then you just don't get the extra deck summon. That shit's unfair. Yeah. Well, now we're about to go back to something very similar because obviously if you don't have any of your main monster zones, I'm not really sure what you're supposed to do. Like, I'm pretty sure that that's just an FTK or like, yeah, basically an FTK because if you don't out there board, you just actually lose. Yeah, you just lose. Yeah. But all but also the the sad thing about that, as soon as the deck releases, it outclasses the flu deck because the flu deck it has to recur its cards from banish, but every time a card is banished, the Arise Heart, the boss monster for the yeah. caster deck, it just attaches one. So it just steals their resources. Oh, okay. So it actually is a counter to flow in a really weird way. Yes. <laughs> Wow, and you also said that it banishes things face down a lot too, which I, I already know Fenrir banishes things face down, right? Yeah. And yeah, I just I every time I read that card, that card is insane. <laughs> Going to one very soon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I agree. I agree. I see that card going to one easily. He is he is the probably one of the best versions of Stratos I've ever seen because he's a twenty three hundred basically regular so you can summon him with you know no requirement he just like i don't have a field summon this guy uh he searches himself which is wild which is straight stratos does the same thing and then he has a second effect like stratos but his second effect is like oh if i'm summoned or if i attack banish a face-up card your opponent controls face down and i just think that that is like every time i when I, before it came out when it was first announced in japan i just thought that we got the translation wrong like i went on facebook and i was like there's no fucking way this car was translated correctly. Like, there's no way it was translated correctly. And then it came out, and it was actually a real thing, and then obviously it took over Japan pretty immediately. And now, from what I understand, the best deck in Japan, despite them hitting the tier element deck a lot, is still cash tier tier element. Like, it's still the best deck over there. The cards are just too strong. Yeah. Like, they... They they take too many resources. Like from you being an older pro player, mm-hmm. you can understand any card that can trade with three cards in one, it, yeah. it's gonna win if I see it. Yeah, and it's at three right now, which is definitely <laughs> yeah. not correct. Uh, I guess since you brought up it's going to one, what else do you think needs to happen on the ban list that should be coming out? Hopefully, I'm hoping we get a ban list before Vegas. Personally, uh, even though I don't, you know, I don't play, but I still think that this format right now. It's it's very stale in a sense that I don't want to keep seeing just tier element and like the same decks over and over and over again. 
And I would like them to do something to lower those decks just winning every tournament. Like, Terra Elements has been just winning everything. And that is... It's cool. It's got, like, the last... I don't know how many YCSs. Like, four or five YCSs. It won all of them. But I think it's time to see just something else. And I'm wondering what you think should be on the next list to kind of maybe help that along. <sighs> okay, so usually when people ask me this, I have two opinions. I have, like, cards I feel should be banned for the current state so cards can sell. And then I have one that I think cards should be banned based on, like, the pros and the better players in the game. So I'll just state that one. Truthfully, I think the only issue, like, the tier deck creates is being able to play on turn zero. So having this should go to one or just be banned. I think that makes everything else like extremely fair about the deck. Um, also, let <laughs> me interject right there. Isn't it weird though how no, ha- having this started out as the meme, not the best tier element monster at all, before the, the Shiza cards came out? He was just kind of, or I guess she was just kind of the one that you're like, uh, I don't really want to see this one too often. It's like, I just want to mill it, not really draw it. And now. <laughs> Like you said, playing on turn zero. Yeah, like turn zero, your opponent goes Rabina F, and you're just like, uh, I have a response to that. And things can just get out of hand from there. Like off rip, I can just activate Havnus. Oh, I milled this, and now we're about to mill five, and now I'm about to start summoning on your turn, and I'm literally playing the game right now on your turn. Yeah. Yeah, it's just. It's just such a disgusting card. It's something that the Lightsworn deck needed it a yes. far, far oh my time God. ago. <laughs> that would have made Lightsworn absolutely tier zero. I know Lightsworn did have its format in 2009, but that would have made it like literally considered one of the best decks of all time if Lightsworn got to do anything relatively close to that. That would have been fucking broken. In 2009, yeah, so. people would be like, on, <laughs> on your turn, I'm going to start milling cards right now. Uh, yeah, it would have went straight to one. Yeah, yep, I can see that. Especially yeah. back then, because they were about that life back then. Back then, yeah. Konami just instantly put things on a list. Uh, before you get into the rest of your ban list, I'm just going to speak to the future again here, but I heard that there is a Kosh tier, tier element card coming out, and it essentially is Havnus. Technically, Kikalos, technically Havnus, but it says something like, when it's summoned, you mill three from either player's deck, and then when it goes to the graveyard, it like mills again so it ends up milling five cards just like hit Kylo, so you're basically going to just choose yourself yeah that card's super healthy that's why having this can go to one okay because now when you summon that you just have to trade one out of your hand because you probably won't have a great turn zero so you just trade one from your hand and then summon that and then you still get to play i think that's way more fair than your opponent playing and then you playing for just one card right yeah, okay, that's good to so, know. Because I read yeah, the card. Yeah, that card is disgusting. Yeah, that card's disgusting, though. Yeah, yeah, we're not, yeah. we're not, we're not saying that it's okay by any means. But for the state, <laughs> the crazy thing is, it's like it just goes in line with the rest of the cards in the format. It's just like this is in the same power realm of the rest of the cards. Like it is broken, but with the format being the way it is currently, it's like yeah, this is just you know, part. This is par for the course at this point. Uh, okay, so what else do you think should? be touched are you are you a dimension shifter hater are you one of those people that like really really despises dimension shifter no i think that card is pretty decent i think it's good for the format okay why like, you, truthfully why, why do you feel that way just out of curiosity because the, 
because the good players just make Boguska and play through it, the bad players concede and go to game two. <laughs> <laughs> so I think it's a fair trade because if you're willing to play through it, your opponent might just brick. Yeah. Then you win. <laughs> or if you just have some type of like mental confidence within Yu-Gi-Oh, then you shouldn't just scoop to the card anyway because it doesn't mean you die. Yeah. That's yeah, interesting. But- because I, I see the biggest complaint I see most people have is D shifter, D shifter, D shifter. Everyone's like, oh, it's an auto win, it's an auto win. Which, you know, Yu Gi Oh players always tend to one extreme or the other, right? It's always, oh, this is like terrible for the game. It's, it makes the game unplayable. Or you got the people who will just absolutely die on the hill of, nah, I want to be able to play my like Eldritch deck or some weird, like, some deck that doesn't care, like, you know, Flunderese or whatever, they're like a hardcore Flunderese player, so they don't want anything to get touched in their engine that they feel like can contend with it. But you're in the middle ground, like, nah, this card's fine. Like, I can play through this, and, you know, it's not just an instant win every single time it resolves, which is much more reasonable than just saying, oh, this card activates, I lose. Because with the format changing so much as well, like, with the card triple tactic tasking being released, it's just another copy of tactics. So they shifter, you activate, you tactics, you look in their hand, you trade it too. Mm. So you didn't really go down too much because now you break them from playing. They have to top deck into a starter or some form of card to actually like and like start them playing the game. That's so. a good point, actually. Uh, I forgot that card's coming out. So for people who don't know. This is coming on the next set, but there's triple tactic talent, not talents. And it searches out, I think, spells and traps it, that are normal. It has the same name, just no, without an S. I think it's yes. the same. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's the same. And it's the same guy on it. So, like, triple tactics talent is a zoomed in version of this card. So, this card literally is Sheehan from the Six Samurais. He's holding up some kind of like metal thing in his hand. And that's what triple tactics talent is. But when you zoom out, you can see the full picture of him like holding it and everything. And they just took an S off of it. And that's the car. And it says something like if your opponent, if your opponent activated a monster or something, uh, you can search your deck for any like spell or trap. Right. Is it something like that, Rolly? Like if it's a normal spell or trap? any normal spell or trap right so you can search out triple tactics talent with that card which is so i know it's like a tongue twister to say that these are two different cards but they are uh but yeah it's a really good it's a really cool card because you can search out things like evenly match from what i understand lightning storm uh triple tactics talent which is probably the best one i mean it's literally on the card so you're probably supposed to search out the uh, card that it shows you. you you know we got a few more honorable mentions with Instant fusion and terraforming, and uh, what else? What, what else is nice? Uh, artifact sanctum, yeah, yep. change of heart. <laughs> uh, oh, okay. So, real quick, uh, yeah, change of heart. I forget that's a that's actually just in the format and it's completely just like a card that people can play. Okay, so I think that they might have changed the name of the one that we're talking about to triple tactic tasking. It looks like. Tasking. Yeah, so they changed it. So Triple Tactics Talent is the one that you you know, Kenny. And then now this one is called Triple Tactic Tasking. Uh, and that is not what it was in Japanese, but whatever. They, you know, they converted it. Thank God they actually did translate it with a different name that makes it where it's not confusing. But yeah, it is. If your opponent has activated a monster effect this turn, set one normal spell or trap directly from your deck, except this card. So you can't set another copy of it, obviously. Uh, and then it says... 
It cannot be activated this turn, or if your opponent controls a monster, you can add that card to your hand instead. You can only activate one triple tap tasking per turn. So, what, wait, what? Except triple tax talent, it cannot be activated this turn, or if your opponent controls a monster, you can add it to your hand. That to is your hand, yeah. That is confusing. I hate the way this card is so, worded. <laughs> I'm guessing so, the not activate thing only applies to if it got set. Yes. Yes. Okay. So if it, so, if they have a body on board, you just add the card to your hand. Gotcha. If not, if not, you just probably set like a flood trap, like a yep. barrier, a sanctum, something like that. Yeah. Yeah. That's actually going to be from a deck building standpoint. This card is super interesting. Because I'm wondering what floodgates really, really hurt. For example, like the flow deck. Is Mask or Strike actually just GG for them? Is that like a card that if it's flipped, they can't deal with? So I guess yes. I guess never mind. It, this card sets normal because it has traps. to be normal. So right, right. In that in that instance, you probably would just set Metaverse and then activate Zombie World from that. Oh, well, that's, that's good enough. That's more than good enough. Yeah, right there. yeah. That's broken. I like that. So you can B shift it. You're like, all right, activate. Set metaverse, zombie world. You you can't play. It's back to my turn. So, <laughs> what are we doing? Yeah, now I play. Yep, and yeah, that's gonna be that's gonna be interesting. I'm actually so excited to see this card be played because it is just gonna make people play broken ass one ofs, like broken spells and traps that are just like I can technically search this now, so I don't need to play three copies of whatever. I can just play a triple triple tactic tasking and play like one copy of it and be good. Yeah, because if you're playing a good deck, you're going to have monsters on the board that are going to trigger to try to stop me. So. Yeah, that's definitely good. Uh, what else do you think it needs to probably get hit? So you said Havnus. Uh, you, you don't think D-Shifter? No, Barrier Statue has to go, though. The Wind Barrier Statue or all Barrier Statues? No, 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 just the Wind one because of Arsenal Falcon. Is that is that already out or is that something new? Uh, Arsenal Falcon is an old card and... It lets you detach a material from it. It's a rank seven, and you special summon one wing beast level four from your deck. Okay. So uh, yeah, yeah. I, I remember that. That's what uh, I remember Leon was playing at the one time. I think. Oh God! Yeah. Is, are we about yeah. to start seeing people make this because of the Koshtera cards? Yes, sir. Oh, that's bad. That's so bad. Yeah. So we gotta try to. <laughs> that should go. I think that should go. Why is the wind barrier statue so much more ridiculous <laughs> than all the other ones? <laughs> That's so ridiculous. By being a wing beast, I just felt like they always had like special summon support. That was like the whole theme of the harpy deck. Yeah, I yeah. I I'll, I'll say this because I'm one of the people that I like to stop problems before they get out of hand. So. The reason why I said just the win one or all of them is because I would prefer if they're just going to hit the barrier statue, the win one, I just want them to hit them all. There's one for every element, basically. And I just feel like at some point in Yu-Gi-Oh, all of them are going to have a turn to just be gay. And I don't want that to happen. <laughs> like I just, I just don't want to go through a format where like the fire deck is summoning the fire statue and we all just have to hold that and look at it. And then it's, you know, whatever the light one is. And it just keeps going like that. I just don't want that to be a thing. That is interesting because I know, I don't know if it's still the case, but I know there was a point in time when all of the dragon rulers were banned except Tempest. Tempest was just not banned. Yeah. There was also uh, one where that... title was, title was not banned. It was just like, for I some think reason. Tempest is still legal. Yeah, you're yeah, right, actually. So, yeah. 
It's like they're all banned except Tempest. And like you can do some silly shit with Tempest still. Yeah, Tempest searches things. And I'm I'm just looking at the other barrier statues just to kind of make sure I remember them right. But yeah, they're all different types. So the fire one is pyro or whatever. But yeah, I just don't want to get like years later, even if it takes years. I don't want there to be years later where people are complaining about another statue because I feel like these cards are so old. <laughs> they just came out so long ago. Like these cards are probably 15 plus years old. I don't know exactly when they came out, but I imagine they're like over 15 years old now because I remember them as a kid. So I just feel like the. I, Go ahead. I feel that the best deck builders in the game, they deserve the ability to find these niches yeah. and the like the resources to put these cards with one line of text in their deck if they're able to search and summon them because that's what the game is made for. It is. I feel we should I feel we should ban it once it's being abused. Okay. But so we like shouldn't ban the idea. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think we should ban the idea before we give somebody the means to so, for have that exploration and find it. I, so I would agree with you here, right? Th- this is the this is where I, I say is it's slightly different because I agree with your idea. I don't like things getting hit before we actually get to really use it that much, and I'm a victim of this because in 2016, at YCS Atlanta 2016, uh, Pepe Bosch was the best deck, and I ordered a case. I actually ordered two cases of that set. I got all of my cards from it, the monkey boards, whatever. I forget exactly Ariadne, all that stuff, and it made a tier zero deck. Right, I ended up playing it for that YCS, but that deck got emergency banned so hard that it only got one tournament, and then it never got to be played again, which is really obnoxious. Uh, and I really didn't like that because it really did obviously tank the secondary market too. Like it just was like, well, fuck people who actually ordered this set. It's now basically worthless because they literally banned some of the cards too. Monkey Board got straight up banned. Like he didn't get put the one, and get like it's just like straight up. We're banning a lot of the cards. I think Plush Fire got banned too. So they like really went hard on it, and I didn't like that because it was, in my opinion, it was too soon. The the difference for me with the the other statues that haven't had a chance to shine yet is that now that we've seen the wind statue literally become a god card, I don't know if we need to actually see the other statues do the same thing because for the rest of people's time playing Yu-Gi-Oh, the second a fire deck or a water deck or an earth deck becomes ridiculous and they can summon a statue. It's not going to be a secret. And people find a combo to summon the statue. Like I would, if I was competitive, <laughs> you get what I mean? Like if I was competitive for the rest of my time playing Yu-Gi-Oh, I'm always going to see, Oh, this new deck coming out is all earth monsters. Can this deck play the earth statue? Oh, it can go an earth statue. I'm probably not the only person thinking that though, because we've seen the wind statue for years. The wind statue has been around for a while now. And it's like, that's my only defense of why I feel like the other statues can go at the same time because we've seen the wind statue open the door for all statues. <laughs> all statues matter. <laughs> so, <laughs> that's how I feel with this fucking card. I don't want to see these statues go ham. I just don't. Uh, all right. So in that instance, we probably could hit them all or we probably could just limit the worst attributes to one. Yeah. I mean, it only takes, yeah, it only takes that one, though. Our, okay, question. So, because I didn't know that this is about to happen, but this is not okay. This Falcon thing, this, this <laughs> old-ass uh, rank 7 monster, this rank 7 Xyz, that's about to literally... It's always old cards, and I do, I agree with you, though. Like, I really do. I love the fact that people have gone back into the archives and said, you know this card that was unplayable because... Who was summoning level sevens, especially multiple, especially 
summoning two level sevens, but also not losing card advantage doing it. Because that's a big part of it, too. Is like, if you're going to summon level sevens, the last time we did that consistently was Dragon Rulers. And that's because you didn't lose card advantage when you summoned them. But now, you get through a period where, like, okay, if you put seven monsters, like, seven star monsters on the field, it probably took actual resources, but the Koshtera cards are all, like, when I'm summoned, replace me immediately. So that guy's free. Yeah, free. That guy's straight up free to make. <laughs> yeah, that's wild. Uh, also, from what I understand, the Koshtera guys, it probably is already out, I'm not sure, but tell me if, tell me if I'm right or wrong here, but they get a macro cosmos on legs that's pretty big. No. That's the XYZ that comes on at Hypernova. That's okay. the Rise Heart. Okay. Yeah. Oh, so the same. Okay. So Rise Heart is literally Macrocosmos on top of other effects. Yeah, it's a Dryden. It's literally a Dryden. You XYZ summon it on another name. It can quick effect pop a card, but basically it banishes the card face down. It's just a Dryden with a body. Oh my God. <laughs> I got to look this up. <laughs> yeah, that card's crazy. Oh my god. Yeah, I've heard I've heard of like a lot of the costume stuff and I've seen some of the combos. I was watching Stango show me a combo that I'm I'm like 90% sure it started off with him just going, I only have Fenrir. And he just did way too much off of just Fenrir by itself. Like I was disgusted. Uh Koshtira Arise Heart. Yeah, I love looking at the future of Yu-Gi-Oh! because it's always just doom and gloom until somebody figures something out. But this guy says. Three level seven monsters, which of course that's not the real way to summon it, but once return of a Koshtera <laughs> Shangra era activated its effect, you can exceed by using that as or exceed by using a Koshtera monster you control. So basically, if the other exceeds guy activated its effect this turn, you can just put this over top of any Koshtera you control. Uh, then it says any card sent to the graveyard is banished instead. So literally Macrocosmos. Then he says once per once per chain. Oh my god, once per chain. Each time a card is banished, attach one banished card to this card as material. Then once per turn, this is way too much. Why am I still reading effects? Once per <laughs> turn, once per turn, quick effect. You can detach three materials from this card. Target one card on the field, banish it face down. And that doesn't need to be a face up card. Just target one card on the field. So this guy is insane. And he's 3,000, 3,000. He's absolutely bonkers. Yeah. Crazy. He's you gotta have a once per chain and a once per turn and a once per duel. You know, you gotta have you gotta have all. And don't forget his continuous effect. Yeah, yeah. it's weird. But the, the crazy thing is his continuous effect triggers his once per chain effect because after the card leaves the board, it was banished. That yeah. creates a chain link. So he's just toxic. So he just starts taking shit. Uh, that's yeah. broken. And I know people complain complain about Abyss Dweller. A lot, and we can talk about that in a second. But this card is essentially, it's it's like another way of making it where your opponent's graveyard effects don't matter. So in the mirror match, I'm not even sure how that plays out. Like if people are playing this in, is this is it going to be a tier element deck that plays this guy? Like they it's a, it's merged together. Maybe, but I don't really think it's going to be too great because okay. you have to play like Birth and Unicorn. Yeah. Cause I, and I, those guys are just better in the pure deck. Okay. So you're you're leaning more towards a non-tier element version of this type of deck. Yeah, I, I think the things that the deck like can do just combo-oriented, like going back to what you were saying about level 7, yeah. we haven't had a format where we were able to like abuse Draco set, and this format permits us to do that. Mm. Like 
Drake Draco Sack alone is like Appaloosa, Arise Heart, Shangri La, and mm. Fenrir. What? Yeah. <laughs> so you know something that I I always forget this, but Yu-Gi-Oh has gotten to a place where tokens are broken. Yeah, tokens are broken. Oh yeah. And it's the reason why uh, the Blackwing Gofu, I think is his name, he's banned. Uh, oh no! The, oh no! He oh yes, yes, that is banned. But Steam the Cloak isn't right. Steam the Cloak just came back, I believe, on like the last list, and that card yeah. is also pretty broken. But if you remember, Gofu was the guy you get a special summon him. And he creates two tokens, and he got banned real quick because yeah. the shit people were doing with him was outrageous. And a lot of the guys that create tokens got hit when uh, Link Monsters came became a thing because a lot of Link Monsters don't have a restriction on tokens. And yep. so Draco Sack, it sounds like, because he creates two tokens, and are they level seven tokens? I forget. Oh, no, they're level three. Okay, it, yeah. So they creates two tokens, but the tokens themselves don't really have any restrictions on them. And I guess that that goes into a bunch of other nonsense when, when you just have a guy that comes out 2600 and creates two tokens like that. Yeah, a lot of nonsense. I'm a fan. Yeah, I'm just Draco Sack. That's just plus two bodies to just do whatever the fuck you want with. And with yeah. how free it is to do the seven different ways of special summoning, like, wish the, you just uh, do whatever the fuck you want. Yeah, it's, what's the, what's the Kashtira field spell do? Let me see. Sorota. Oh, of, co- of course, because yeah. God forbid when you play <laughs> it, it doesn't instantly just search itself yeah, so, or like something know, else. Yeah. It's Sorota. Uh, it gives a hundred attack and defense to all your monsters for every different attribute of monster you control on the board. Okay. Also, its final effect: if Kashtira Shangri La has activated its effect, well, if it activates its effect, so it's a trigger, you can target and destroy one card. Mm, that that is what <laughs> this is just so uh, much. Uh, another fair card, right? <laughs> yes. Okay. Yeah, okay, I finally found this. So it's called Prime Planet Paraissos. And it says when this card is activated, you can add one Kashtira monster from your deck to your hand. Monsters you control gain 100 attack and defense for each different attribute among the monsters on the field. It's exactly what you said. And then it says if that Kashtira Shangri-La uh, you control activates its effect, except during the damage step, irrelevant, you can target one card on the field, destroy it, you can only use you can only use this effect once per turn. You can only activate one effect per turn. Okay, I like that it has that last part. Uh, you have to choose which one you're gonna use. So it looks like you can't search and also Yeah, it looks like you can't search and also destroy in the same exact turn. Um which is good because a lot of these cards don't have that restriction. I think Primeval Planet, whatever, the one for the tier element deck, it can search when it's activated, but then it also allows you to pop that same turn, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, you can do all in the same turn. You can do all in the same turn, and it gives you guys like a stat boost or something too. So this is basically the same kind of card, but they say, you know what, this time, how about we don't let it do all of its effects in the same turn it's played? Like, how, how about we calm it down just a, li- just a little bit? Yeah, this is nice. Is this yeah, card, that card. Is this card searchable by Fenrir? Does Fenrir search... No, 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 just Cash Terra. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Yeah. Ah, it's not called Cash Terra. It's just called okay. No, gotcha. I was about to say that seems that seems kind of dumb. Like if you could just add this to it, yeah, okay, that's good. No, no, that would be so unfair. <laughs> that's the that's the game. That's Yu Gi Oh. 
That, that's what it's supposed to do. That would be so unfair. Yeah, that would be really because I guess even the tier element field spell isn't searchable by the tier element cards. Like you're not searching primeval planet with tier element cards. No. Yeah. Okay, that's fair. That's that's and by fair I mean fair in the context of modern Yu-Gi-Oh. Of modern Yu-Gi-Oh. I have to say that because I'm an Edison player now, and everything that we talk about as far as modern is going to be so unfair. Like if you put Fenrir in Edison, he solos the entire format. Like Fenrir, yeah, he would he would have to be at one. Yeah, he would have to be at one, he would and he would still zero. He would. <laughs> <laughs> he solos the entire format. Like the whole format of Edison loses to a lone Fenrir. Like it's that bad. It's that. It's like. Oh, I can't. I don't even want to think about it. It's so bad how ridiculous that card is. If you you can pretty you can pretty much put him in any format of Yu Gi Oh, and I, I say this all the time, you could literally go back, pick your format, and that card would be a problem in any single like any format. He's that ridiculous. It's like him, and I always put uh Packer Tops in that conversation too. Like if you put Packer Tops in any format, he's just he's so insane. It's just a fucking insane card. I don't care what format. I just put Packer Tops in it, and I guarantee you he'll find his way in the deck. Either in the main or the side, he's going to be around though. Hey, he only, yeah, I mean, he's broken. He, he only gets better the further back you get. Like the further back in Yu Gi Oh you put him, the more guaranteed he is to be in the deck. Yeah, people, people still were siding uh, Panker Tops. I mean, up until 20, like twenty twenty two, yeah. I've seen Panker Tops people side deck, and it's at one. People are like, well, fuck it, I'm just going to play the one copy. When he was at three, people he's, were siding three copies of it. He's so good. Yeah. Yeah, it's just a crazy card. It's just so crazy. It's like giving your cyber dragon an effect. And it's a quick effect. A quick effect. Because I remember talking to some one of the one of the people who had won multiple YCSs. I was talking to them in Cali, and somehow we got on the topic of Panker Tops, and they was they said that it's always going to trade like two for one. Always. He was like, no matter what, this card is always gonna be a two for one. And I was like, damn. That's actually it, when you when you put it that simple, like when you just say it like that, like it'll always just two for one your opponent. That's crazy. It's fucked up. It, yeah, it, it shouldn't be a body that on summon is bigger than Stardust. Yes, and yeah, that's twenty six, right? Isn't he yes, twenty six? He's twenty six. He's twenty six. And that's and you why summon him yeah, for no reason. You summon him for no reason, and he's twenty six. So he beats over because I remember talking about the sprite deck and how he just straight up beats Toad. Like summon attack over your your Toad. Just like that. No question. I'm just attacking over your toad. And if you activate anything, then like obviously it gets a little bit more complicated, but then he could, you know, tribute himself, pop something, and then then you get into the conversation of like droplets and all that crazy stuff and all that. But yeah. You hit with the pank spank. <laughs> yeah, so I'm I'm just uh Yu-Gi-Oh! is just getting more and more ridiculous. But is is there anything else uh as far do you think that dweller does need to go? Because uh, we didn't actually answer that question or, or go through it yet, but no, I don't think Dweller needs to go because Dweller is like a format card. It's only good within the format because now, like, the the deck is going to be checked by the Cash Terra deck. So should Dweller go when now Macrocosmos on legs exist? That just, it, it just seems unproportioned. Yeah, it's like, why are we doing this now? If you were going to do it, you had to do it earlier, not wait until this new deck comes out that, that already is, beats the old deck. That is something that I always fucking hated about Yu-Gi-Oh!, is it felt like they would hit a deck as like the better like a better deck would come out, and then at that same time, like when the new format, when the new set drops, they'll like hit an old deck, and it's like, well, you don't even need to hit this deck anymore yeah. because with its cards, it doesn't keep up. 
So now it's just like, I don't know. It's just frustrating because let let me play the deck. Like if I have all the cards, like let me play it. Either, yeah, you now, it's not the best deck anymore. Let me, you know what I mean? If yeah. I want to run it, let me run it. When they hit Tri Brigade, I remember thinking to myself, all right, you hit Tri Brigade, but like the format has already shifted to the point where that deck is not really that good anymore anyway. Like you shouldn't be hit. You shouldn't be playing that deck anymore anyway, because it's got, you've already gotten power crept by just where Yu-Gi-Oh is after Tri-Brigade had its run. Cause it had a good run in like 2021, right? The summer 2021 and probably a little later than that. It was doing really good. And it was, you know, Zeus dot deck and all that stuff and Omen. And then it got to a point where the game got power crept and no longer was summoning an Omen or just Zeus enough. Like that just wasn't enough anymore. You had to do more. And they started finally putting, you know, a lot of their cards to one and all that stuff. And I was like, eh, it's like, why are we doing this now? You could have done this when it was actually winning and just dominating. But that's uh, that's the Konami way. It looks like they're not changing that. But you said you have like one. One is where you're trying to sell cards. And I'm glad you said that because that means that you're a very reasonable person in the way that you think about the game. Because at the end of the day, Yu-Gi-Oh! is still a business. And I know as competitive players, oftentimes we get in our heads about how they could be making better decisions for our sake as though we matter. And I, I try to tell people, like, as someone who, you know, not only did I go to school for business, but like I work in the business world and I understand that at the end of the day, the bottom line matters more than anything. Like these these companies will do whatever it takes to get their bottom line higher and higher. And it, it's at the cost of things like a competitive format and at the cost of a player base and all that stuff, especially when in reality, the competitive player base, we represent such a small portion of the actual overall demographic that they're selling to and also i think the best thing like about trying to have two separate lists in the whole aspect of the game is you have to understand where both forms of players are coming from because you're always going to have casuals and those casuals have switched over to other card games based on the tier zero format so that's just taking money out of the game too and I had, well, we both have a friend, but you have a real close friend and our friend Xavier and like the, the vendors within the game, they, they actually need the casuals to exist. Yes. Cause then in the same aspect of that, like they have to live through, you know, supplying casuals, but without saying too much in that regard, I definitely think on a casual, like money-making standpoint, um, instant fusion has to go. Oh, Kit yeah. Catlos probably has to go. Terraforming should go. <laughs> uh, yeah. Set rotation probably should go as well. Is that at I don't one? even think it should. Yeah, set one. I don't even think it should exist. The card's still too good. Like so, you name three yeah. one ofs, and that you name four cards. Three of them are at one. Uh, one of them people only play one. Kit Kalos, from what I understand, people play like one Kit Kalos, but then instant fusion, terraforming, and set rotation are all at one, and. I I didn't think that this is not my own original idea, but a long time ago, McCabe uh, was saying how he hates one ofs in general, like period. He just does not like one of cards. He feels like cards should either be, you know, at three or just not in the format at all. And obviously that's that's extreme because it's like, well, it's either too much or it's nothing at all. It's like we're going to have one BLS to sack you or one trap dust shoot to sack you. Or one dark arm dragon to sack you, and in this case, one instant fusion to sack you. Because every time I hear people in the tear element mirror match, it's like, oh, he opened up instant fusion, and that's all they'll say to me when I say what happened. 
They won't tell me anything <laughs> yeah, else. So. They just say that. So yeah, so that that's like pretty much the reason that it should go, like because it helps both class of player not to feel as though that they were out, like they were lucked out because they don't feel it's skill. Yeah, you top that instant fusion or terraforming or. I guess Rhoda, if Rhoda was good, like yeah, yeah, any it, of the one cards. Makes... Instant Fusion has never been played and been fair. Like that's never been. That's true. <laughs> that's that, never been a case. That is very true. Every time Instant Fusion has actually been a playable card, it's been a problematic card. Like that is actually just the history of Yu-Gi-Oh. Full stop. It has been a problematic card every time it's playable, and I feel that way about a lot of cards. Like how you said, Dweller is not necessary to ban anymore because of the new Macrocosmos on legs, that's probably easier to summon than Dweller next month, which is crazy, but that's just the reality of it. Like, it will just be easier to summon that thing than it is to summon Dweller. And on top of that, like, okay, Dweller is weak. This guy's 3,000, 3,000. So touching Dweller seems weird, but then what's going to happen a year from now or two years from now is that we're going to enter another format where Dweller is problematic. And it's like, are we going to do it this time? Are we going to let it go? Dweller's been out since 2012. The card's been out since 2012. And the only reason I know that is because my whole life is basically chronologized by what I was doing in Yu-Gi-Oh. So I know in 2012 is when Water came out. And that deck is just absolutely broken, but Dweller made it over the top. Like, a Dweller just made it absolutely insane. So it's been 11 years since Dweller has come out, and he's just been a problem on and off. It's like, when he's good, he's too good. And when he's not playable, nobody even talks about it, nobody even thinks about it. But then you get into these situations, and I feel the same way about like instant fusion. If if we if we go away from oh like fusion monsters are broken and somehow they change it to whatever when and they can at the drop of a dime they can just choose like when fusions are are trash. And next thing you know, it's like instant fusion isn't playable anymore. But years later, we're going to make fusions good again, and then instant fusion is going to be back to like a complained about card. So it's an interesting balancing act to think about from both a business standpoint and a competitive standpoint uh, about how to properly do that. It's, it's definitely, definitely not easy work when you think about it, trying to, trying to please multiple people. But at the end of the day, you're like, at, at the end of the day, bottom line is bottom line. Uh, what else is there? So I, I agree with like getting rid of a lot of the one ofs because, and it, this is the competitive person to me speaking. I hate, the feeling of so in Edison format, like brain controls at one. This is the most powerful card in the format. It is just absolutely disgusting how many games come down to if he has brain control, I just lose. And mm-hmm. I would prefer for my win rate to go up that brain mm-hmm. control just be banned because literally that card being out of the game would prevent me from losing so many games that I would have otherwise won, especially against people who I just feel like aren't that good. But brain control is such an equalizer. Like, it is disgusting how much of an equalizer it is. And then you have other cards like Future Fusion and Trap Dust Shoot. And these cards are just super unfair. They don't really say anything about you as a player being good. It's just like, yeah, you drew this card, and this card literally invalidated all the skill at the table. Just got taken out of the game because the this other, card exists. The other thing that's kind of cool about taking out, like, <laughs> the super broken one-offs that exist in formats, the cool thing about if they didn't exist is they would open up your deck. They would open up your deck slots for, like, making your deck a bit more that you can just make your deck a bit more viable in a way. Like if nobody has access to brain control and should dust shoot or whatever that opens up slots for your decks for cards that might make your deck a little bit better, but you don't have room for it because you have to play brain control. Yeah. Staples one of staples. And that's true. Uh, I feel like 
I personally, I know Dushu obviously is an insane card in Yu-Gi-Oh! And I personally hate the card in Edison format because it is outrageous turn one. And then it's just mid to worse any point after that. Like usually after turn one, Dushu loses so much of its value because the game's underway. Sometimes people's decks, depending on what you're playing against, they don't even have enough cards for you to actually activate it, which is so annoying when that happens. And I've lost games to drawing Dushu in the middle of a game where I wish it was just a deep prison or something else. Uh, but then I also have won games literally just because I went first and opened up Dushu. Like, I didn't do anything. I just saw his hand. I'm like, I know exactly what you have. And I'm too good of a player to not literally kill you with that information. Like, you're going to lose because I know you're six. And that's, like, too much in itself. But if you have that card out of the format, then decks become more consistent because they can just include more, like, they can just include Upstar Goblin. Like, a lot of decks in Edison format don't play Upstar Goblin at all. They just literally don't play. It's at three, and almost no one plays it in an Edison format, which is so, like, weird to think about because it is mathematically correct to just play Upstar Goblin in your deck. Like, if you're saying, I'm playing 40 cards, well, why are you playing 40? Because that's the minimum. Okay. Well, if you can get your minimum lower than that, why are you not playing 37? Because the life point thing isn't that big of a deal, if I'm being honest. Like, unless, you know, you're playing... Unless you're playing a deck that does exactly 8,000 to your opponent, which, honestly, a lot of decks don't do exactly 8,000. It's not that kind of format. But the life points don't really matter. But if you're arguing that, like, oh, I play 40 cards because I want my deck to be consistent, like, Upstart will make it mathematically more consistent. And you can include stuff like that when you don't have to play staples that are at one and very sacky. Here's what I'll say on the on the contrary though to play devil's advocate. I think for for content purposes, one ofs are exciting, and you know what I mean. Like when you're watching people play, or like when you're watching a stream, and it's you know top four of this of nationals, and Hansel opens up the one instant fusion, and it's game three. He's going first. The crowd's about to go fucking crazy. They're going to go crazy. You already know. Like, they're going to fucking lose their minds because he just opened up the best card in the format. It's at one. It's hype. Everybody knows what it means. They knows he pretty he pretty much wins the game by just activating it. And that type of stuff is cool because it also has the whole... It, it stays true to what Yu-Gi-Oh! was originally, which is like the whole heart of the cards, believing in the ability to play out of any situation. It gives you those top decks, too. It gives you the chance to be like, I'm out the game. Unless I literally draw right now Monster Reborn. Like, it's the only card that I can win the game with right now. And you rip it, and it's just like a hype-ass moment. Like, oh, shit, he drew Monster Reborn. This is only out. So stuff like that, I get it from that perspective. Because I've been on both ends of that, where I'm the guy that drew the one of. And it's like, oh, I just drew my, my BLS off the top in the plant mirror. And I was down bad. But now you got two guys in attack mode. You actually lose the game because I drew this card. So... It, on one hand, it's like, yeah, it really sucks to get sacked out of a game from the one-of, but then for content and for just the hypeness of the moments for the memorable stories, those one-ofs, they do make really good stories. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sure Pro Heavy has ruined a lot of relationships. <laughs> <laughs> Most definitely. Speaking of which, so since we're uh, talking a little bit about like older formats and stuff like that, how did you even get into Yu-Gi-Oh? Because you're from Baltimore, right? Yes. You're from B-more, so tell me how you got into Yu-Gi-Oh! And then let's talk a little bit about the Baltimore Yu-Gi-Oh! scene, if you don't mind. Okay, so me and my cousin, we used to go up to Mundalman Mall. That's like a real famous black mall in Baltimore City, okay. West Baltimore specifically. We used to go to the KB Toys up there, and 
he bought us both structured decks, well, starter decks, excuse me. That's what they used to be called before, structured decks. He bought us two starter decks, so he kind of threw me through a loop because he got me the Joey one, and he got the Pegasus one, so <laughs> I couldn't understand why I kept losing to this blue card, but, you know, <laughs> Relinkus, <laughs> Relinkus was kind of broken, but after that, like, we kind of fell out of the game for a while. And then I remember around 2010, I think, 2010, he called me and he was like, he wanted to get back in the game because everybody was playing. So it was all these new mechanics. And from that, it was just kind of wild because it was like Black Wings being summoned and Drill Warriors and Synchros and Gazeris and cards that can be activated on your opponent's turn and it was just a lot but I think that's what kind of drew me back into it because it was so much going on yeah um did you ever used to watch the anime were you a were you an anime watcher at all of the Yu-Gi-Oh anime yes I was really into the Yu-Gi-Oh cartoon like that was definitely one of my favorite things to watch on WB kids yep same every Saturday morning yeah, definitely that. I was uh, um sad to say I wasn't really like one of the protagonist fans. Like I was more of a fan of Bandy Keith. Like <laughs> Hell yeah. I, yeah, I thought he was pretty neat. Like, oh, that's the insider uh, if I've ever heard and, one. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, you know, but that's more so contrary from being from Baltimore. It's yeah. like getting it done by any means yeah. so like I, I, so with, so like to not put myself in there i got one of my tops by like any means but it wasn't no cheating involved yeah, it was yeah. just you know it was pretty cool it's like you're not the guy i'm the guy so i'm gonna just get the win and that's life you know so <laughs> Oh, I feel like I feel like a lot of players that I've grown to respect, like Jerry, uh, Shane, Scary, yeah. Alistair, Silverman, yeah, and the yeah. famous story about the little kid. Like you know, I, yeah, I just love yeah. that. Like sometimes it's like, but that's a Baltimore thing. And in the sense of being from here and from what it like, the scene was creating within like the state. I mean, aside from Roy St. Clair, rest in peace, but, uh, you you know, like the, the game was really like strong here. So like the mental capability and fortitude of the player that you was playing against was usually pretty decent because like the best Baltimore players were playing with like the best Pennsylvania and New York Mm -hmm. players. So it was like a conjunction of all those minds that you got to sit down across from like every fucking local. It was kind of wild. Like. I remember uh, when I was younger, like Jamal Jupiter, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but is he also from Maryland? Yes, he is directly from West Baltimore. Okay. Cause I remember with the, he, I used to call him fuzzy eyebrows, like, like, uh, Ro- <laughs> like Rock Lee. Cause you know what I'm talking about? He had the thickest eyebrows I've ever seen in my life. And he would just like, blankly stare beat somebody's ass in Yu-Gi-Oh. He was really good at the game and then he ended up winning a Shonen Jump championship in like 2008. And I've always respected him because 
you know, it was cool to just see, like, obviously being a little black kid who wanted to also win Shonen Jump Championships and do well, like, seeing Jamal Jupiter do it, knowing that he came from basically the hoods of fucking Baltimore, and I'm from the hoods of Philly, and we used to talk at events all the time, and then for him to go and win an actual tournament like that was just really, really dope to me back in the day. Uh, and then after that, he just kind of, like, he did what a lot of people do. They're like, I got my win, and he just faded away, but I... I respect people who are like, I got what I wanted from the game, and now I'm I'm throwing up the deuces, and that's what like I got it, I got my win, yeah, I, my name will be remembered forever, right? Like it's immortalized. Like I just brought him up, and I think that that I think he won in like '08, so it's been 15 years since then, which is crazy to say. But Baltimore has a lot of legends, and that's a uh, yeah, that's dope because I know you guys have a super crazy scene because, as you know, one of my closest friends in the game, like Alistair. He comes from there, and I, he was the most unsuspecting Yu-Gi-Oh friend I think I ever made. Like when I first met Alistair, it was at a New Holland, PA regional. He was like some 15, 16-year-old scrawny white kid who had a binder full of foreign Yu-Gi-Oh cards. Now, at the time, like I hadn't topped any YCSs or anything like that. I was just a, a regional guy who basically topped all the regionals in Philly and in, in the surrounding areas. But I wasn't on a, you know, the national scale. And when I'm at Alistair, I had never seen foreign cards in my life. Like I had never even known that you could get German and Italian and French, Lone Fire Blossom, super rare, Spirit Reaper German, super rare, and all these crazy ass cards. I never even knew that was a thing. Then I meet him, and he's super young, and he has like a binder full of them. And I didn't know what was going on. So I was like, how the hell did you get all these cards? And he's like, do you do you like them or something? And I was like, yeah, I, I the spirit bird literally says something about like spirit maestro, like I think was the name of it. And I said that is that is insane. And they're darker print and everything. And that became that started a whole thing where I just became infatuated with foreign cards. And then at the same time that it was happening to me, it was happening to the rest of the community too. So everybody wanted foreign cards. And he was the first person I remember seeing them. And he literally gave me for free a super rare German spirit reaper for like nothing. And the card had to be. A minimum of like 60 to 70 bucks easily. Like Spirit Reaper Super Rare was already expensive in English. And then back then there was a tax for foreign cars that you just had to pay. And he was just like, you just have it. And after that, it was just like instantly we became friends. Like, this guy's insane. Like who like this kid is actually insane. And then I didn't know how insane he actually was, but like, you know. Now, now everybody gonna be upset at me in Maryland. The whole Maryland for saying that's even DC Maryland. But for you saying that, Alistair is my favorite Yu-Gi-Oh player. Like, of all Yu-Gi-Oh players. I love Alistair. I wish yeah, he still played. He, like, he literally is one of my favorite people. Just to be around, right? Like, not even just on a Yu-Gi-Oh tip, but just an actual... He's just a fun person to talk to, to be around, to watch him play, his swag, like, everything. Like, he, he's one of the... I used to tell him, even though Sean McKinnon exists, I'm like, you know you're my favorite white boy, right? Like, you are just literally my absolute favorite. He's just so funny. Sean should be the favorite that can't dress. Yes. But, you know, yeah. Alistair knows, Alistair knows yeah. what's up. Like, he knows. He's, yeah. You know, he's been around black people so much that it, it just kind of, <laughs> like, our culture has just rubbed off on You know what I mean? Like, our culture has definitely rubbed off on Alistair a lot. Like, he, he's just one of us. Like, we, we claim yeah, he, him. He smoked Newport. <laughs> he do smoke Newport. <laughs> he smoked Newport. <laughs> that being the identifier is hilarious. Like he do smoke Newports though. Like, I can't say anything. You're not wrong. 
Like, that's not wrong. He does smoke Newports. He specifically smokes Newports. That is that is a fact. Yeah, I, I love... Uh, Maryland has definitely given me a lot of memories because, like, again, Alistair, Jerry, like, Jamal Jupiter, like, all of those guys, I pretty much remember being super young and kind of, like, growing up in Yu-Gi-Oh! with them, especially when I started to, like, top and stuff. Uh, they were all around, and I, those are the, my, most, my most memorable moments, so it always takes me back. But that's cool that you had a super competitive environment as well. I always feel like we're blessed and, like, lucky to have the the locals that we had or, like, just the stories and stuff that go on in our areas because we will live to tell less stories for the rest of our lives. Yeah, and, like, the average player, like, the average player doesn't have, like, enough how can I say, social intelligence to befriend people or go outside of their norm or what they see every day. So they'll never meet like a different form of player and that won't help them have any like structure outside the game because even though it's a hobby, like you do this like for some type of social activity because I know for me, like being from where I'm from, it was kind of an escape because you don't always want to be outside and yeah. you feel me in the midst of getting in this shit. So when you in a local with so many different types of people and backgrounds, usually it's not about getting in this shit, but finding out new things. So that surge of knowledge was more attractive than, you know, just sitting around being lethargic. I agree. I, uh, it's something that I don't talk about often. A lot of people don't know a lot about me, especially my past and my upbringing. But this podcast has made me more vulnerable in ways that I never expected it to. But like, I grew up in a really, really bad area of Philadelphia. Like, and it's it's interesting because even when you look at Philadelphia right now on the news, we are one of the murder capitals in the United States. Like, we're top five cities for the most murders, uh, and that's something that has happened relatively recently. Where we've been like this high in the list of just the bad news like that where a lot of a lot of bad things have been going on in philly uh and i grew up like i said in a really really bad area of philly so Yu-Gi-Oh! for me when you mentioned that whole part about it's an escape and like a way for me not to be in trouble and not to uh be in a situation where something can happen and i might not be making it home that day for either i'm in jail or something worse right it was my parents were happy that i Whenever I wasn't home, I was literally at locals. Like that was what I did with my life, especially when I was in teen. When I was a teenager, I was literally, I would be going to school, and then after school, it would just be like, all right, I'm going to locals, and we would just hang out there. And that was that was my life for years up until I went to college, and then it was basically the same thing in college. I would go to my classes, and then I would go to locals, and it just persisted throughout pretty much most of my twenties as well. Uh, but it kept me out of a lot of the drama and bullshit that was going on in my area. And just made sure that I was technically safe because Yu-Gi-Oh! players, you know, we we definitely have our drama in the community. But like the the drama that goes on in the community isn't nearly as bad as the stuff that you hear about on the news and in the streets and all that. So in a really weird way, Yu-Gi-Oh! kind of protected me from a lot of that. Like I've never been in any crazy situations uh, because I was always just playing Yu-Gi-Oh! or doing something Yu-Gi-Oh! related. Yeah. It was definitely a great, like, piece to keep everybody away from certain things. And it helped me be introduced to a bunch of people like, yo, so that was also the great benefactor of it. 
And there's so much money in you. I was gonna say that. I was waiting. I was waiting for you to say that. I was gonna say there's a lot of money in you, Gil. There's so much fucking money in you, Gil. It's just disgusting. I call it legal drug dealing in in a weird way. uh, Okay, not to say too much about myself. (laughs) I've done a few things in life. I've listen. Silent Ready has never accomplished the amount of things it's <laughs> fucking made for me selling Yu-Gi-Oh. Yu-Gi-Oh is wild. Like, yeah, we know people who are literally millionaires from selling Yu-Gi-Oh cards. Like that is a fact. It's, it's, it's just sickening. Yeah. Like I know several people now, especially now that it's been so much time, that literally have a million dollars in assets because of Yu-Gi-Oh. Like not for anything else, literally because of Yu-Gi-Oh. It all started with Yu-Gi-Oh. And they've just accumulated so much wealth over the gate over the course of like, you know, buying and selling it, even opening up stores, vending, buy lists, everything. Like I've seen it all. I've seen it back from the the way, way back with Troll and Toad days to like now it's gamer you got gamers choice out there. You got all these other things that it's crazy to see people that I used to play Yu-Gi-Oh! with have now opened up actual stores and they're successful in doing that. Like they're hosting regionals and all types of stuff. It's wild. Yu-Gi-Oh! money's very real. Yeah, it's 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 something great. Like it's such it's just such a good secondary market to be into as well. Like such a luxury hobby to have. Yeah, like I I play Edison on Thursday nights usually, and uh, recently I packed the Koshtera Fenrir thing, and I was like, oh shit, I think this is worth money. And I looked it up, and it literally is like a seventy dollar card. <laughs> I was like, oh shit! I just got free plus seventy bucks basically for nothing. I didn't even like. I don't. I don't play with this car. I have no use for it. It's just going to get sold. I give it to Xavier, and he uh, he does what he does with it. That happened like know. three times that day. Everybody yes. packed a card, and they were like, "X, what do you want?" <laughs> yeah, X is like, "I'll give you this. I'll give you that for it." And then he goes and flips it eighteen times, and that one Fenrir becomes God knows what. <laughs> I remember back in the day there was this uh, there was this challenge that people used to do where they would start off with one card. And the goal was at the beginning of the day at the regional, they would take that one card and only that one card, no cash or anything, and see how much they could turn that one card into throughout the course of the day. So if it was a Koshtair Fenrir, both you say me and you start off with a Koshtair Fenrir, we go out into the floor and we trade the Fenrir away to get other cards. And then we trade those cards to get other cards. And at the end of it, you basically see who was able to accomplish the most with just starting off with that one card. Is that such a cool like idea from a just competitive standpoint and, and just to show how much money Yu-Gi-Oh has in it when you do stuff like that? Like no cash is being traded or anything like that. It's just literally take this one card, start the day off with one other person. Y'all both have the same exact card and you just trade throughout the day and see who has the most from just that at the end of the day. Feel, I feel that wouldn't be fair against like any of the Baltimore players because we would always have more cards at the end of the day. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like I told you, we can only get the cards from the Fenrir. How did you get all this? <laughs> they just be lying around. How'd you, how'd you end up with a binder full of ulties? Where, where, did, oh, you get, where did you get this from? <laughs> the, kid, the kid traded it off the floor. Insane. Listen. You get them trades. That is a cool concept, though. That's like reminds me of like I'm sure everybody's heard like the red paperclip thing, where like some guy. It's like documented on the internet. Some guy started with a red paperclip, and like from trading the, this red paperclip to like different to like a pen and all this other stuff, 
eventually just through tr- starting from a red paperclip years later he ended up getting a house what? just by like by like trading up over all of these years like only things that he got through the trade starting with this red paperclip eventually i think he got like a house or something crazy like it's documented on the internet oh wow that's actually it's, really uh, cool it's pretty insane yeah I, I like the idea of that and that's just to kind of to speak to the uh, Rolly's point that there's a lot of money in Yu-Gi-Oh I was going to say because we haven't really talked about this too much but let's get into so what are some of your favorite formats of Yu-Gi-Oh um definitely the cross format number one why is that like uh it was so skill intensive once the gen got banned I agree I and... one of the last times Yu-Gi-Oh was really really I really like that format. I know that hindsight is always twenty twenty, and people can go back and like break the format even more or make it more toxic and all that stuff. But I genuinely liked Necrol's format. Um, and I'm trying to think. Gookie format was really good as well. I know a lot of people didn't like it because it was so combo heavy and solitaire esque. But I feel as though once like the hand traps were defined in the format, you and your opponent like both had to be good at said combos to see who would win. Yeah, if they made a mistake, it was just game over. Yeah, it was a game. Um, a lot of the other formats, I feel, were just, like, super simplified based on, like, one to two decks. Like, I wouldn't say Dragon Rulers, but I just like Draco stack. I didn't really care about the ruler cards. Yeah. Yeah, and every time people bring up Dragon Rulers, I always think that it's definitely the uh, nostalgia talking and not reason, because I played the Dragon Ruler format, I remember the deck being outrageous. Like, it definitely was for 2013. That that deck was way ahead of anything at the time. But I would not I would not say it was good. Like it, if I had to play it over. They were cool. That's yes, what I'm it, 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 Exactly. Like Draco Sack and Big Eye were cool as shit. And so was the actual Dragon Ruler cards themselves. Drawing six on the end phase was super juved, then drawing into another one and playing and drawing another six, then playing another one and drawing another six. That felt good. Like all of those things, drawing off a of maxi. All of that felt good, but if you ask me, is that good for the game? It's like, no. Like, that shit was not good for the game, so I never can really stand by like the dragon. It was fun to use that one card. What was it? Like, Dagger of the Seven Stars or something like that? Seven, uh, Sacred Sword of Seven Seven Stars. Seven Star Sword, yeah. Yeah. Is that, is that going to be playable soon? Uh, it is playable, but I don't feel as though they'll play it. Okay. Like, you don't need it, basically. Yeah, you don't need it. Yeah, because um, it's a once per turn card too, and I always feel weird about cards that you can only activate one per turn anyway. So like you can you might be able to tech one copy, but at that point, like what's the reason? So yeah, it could just be something better than. Yeah. Real quick, this is slightly random, but I, I wanted to go back to the to the trading thing because I yeah. just looked it up real quick. So it's some guy, he did it in fourteen trades. He on starting in uh, July of '05, he traded a paperclip for a fish shaped pen. And then on the same day, he got a hand-sculpted doorknob from Seattle. And then he traveled to Amherst, Massachusetts, and traded the doorknob for a Coleman camp stove. Uh, And then he traded for a Honda generator. Um, And then he went for some weird shit, like an IOU for some big beer keg thing and like a a neon Budweiser sign. Like, these are all... And then he traded that for... Uh, a snowmobile. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, he traded that for a trip to 
He traded the snowmobile for a trip to British Columbia, Yank, British Columbia. And then he traded the second spot on the trip for a box truck. Like, it's just like it's so out of hand. Yeah. Anyway, it goes and goes and goes until finally he trades. He gets a, a film called Donna on Demand. I don't know if this is like a rare film or something. But he trades for a film called Donna on Demand, which he then trades for a two-story farmhouse in Kipling, Sazak. Sazaquashwan. I don't know how to say that word, but but it, it goes from a paperclip to uh, a two story farmhouse. Which that's is nuts. Yeah, that's actually and it's just on, wild. It's on Wikipedia. It, it lists like all all of the trades and the date of the trades. It's fucking crazy. <sighs> I'm not surprised because I've seen the end of some of those Yu Gi Oh uh, start the day off at a regional with one card. I've seen what they've become at the end, and it is kind of wild. That some people have ended up with, and no outside influences, they've literally ended up with a binder of cards. Like at the end of everything, they have not not maybe a full binder where every single page is full, but just they have enough cards where it should be in a binder. The card should be protected, and they should be like displayed that mm. way because they've traded that much from starting off with one card, and it could be as low as you want. It could be start off with something that's basically not worth a lot, or start off with something that's pretty. You know, pretty expensive to begin. Like, if you start off with Fenrir, first of all, the Fenrir is going to move at original. And so you start off at the beginning of the day before people have their deck list and all that submitted. You can trade the Fenrir, a guaranteed. Somebody's already coming to the regional looking for it. So if you start off with something like that, it's much easier to like get get the ball rolling, and then it just matters how good of a trader you are. But I can't imagine that that Fenrir would turn into a house. But it sounds like it a completely could. Oh, it could. It definitely could. If a fucking paperclip can, yeah. it won't be. You know, it won't be a a, a two hundred grand house. Right. But right. you could yeah. you could get something off of it. Yeah, and I mean, this happened in 05, right? So things have changed a lot since then. As far as the internet is way bigger than it used to be in 05. Like it's way more normalized that everyone has the internet, and that information definitely has changed. A lot of things. It changed Yu-Gi-Oh. It changed the housing market. It changed everything. Yeah, but uh, if you if you look at it like that's over the case, that thing was over the case of like say it started in 05 and ended in 06. Imagine taking like a card, right, one card, and then you make it sort of like a hobby to only trade things that started from this ecosystem of trades for like yeah. the next year, and to see what you end up with over a year, like that could that could get insane. Yeah, no, I agree. I totally agree. Uh, okay, so I'm trying to think if there's anything else that I wanted to pull from, because you already said... Do you have, like, a favorite card, Rolly? DD Survivor. Ooh, He's why awesome. is that? Why is that? Why is the DD Survivor? Uh, because every time he gets removed, he comes back. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> Man, That's like, I've been banned a few times. Yeah, you and Nazar, apparently. You you and Nazar, <laughs> and, and uh, we have Corey Roca on here as well, who is, I think he's currently banned and and uh, appealing that. But yeah, the, the banned players coming back is actually something I'm here for. I think that when people get banned, they should be given an uh, you know opportunity to, at some point, come back to the community. And I have seen a lot of people who were banned at one point come back and just like accomplish great things. And that's that's amazing. I always bring up the fact that some of the best players have been banned, strangely enough. Like, it's very weird. But at one point, Billy Brick was banned. And granted, it was only for like a weekend, I think. I think it was three days. Uh, Jeff Jones was banned at one point. And they've gone on to just like win multiple tournaments and, and be upstanding people and all that good stuff in the community. Um, 
So yeah, being banned is not the end of the world. It's not the end of the road. So Duty Survivor is actually a great example of somebody that gets removed from play and just keeps on coming back. And he's actually playable in Edison format technically because my one friend, Luke, who I guess we should have him on the podcast at some point, but he he loves like macro monarchs and all of those decks that just play anti-meta macro cosmos and deep fisher, which are both at three in the format and both really obnoxious. And I've seen enough Duty Survivor where I, I actually hate that card now because of how annoying it is. But <laughs> I can totally see it being someone's favorite card because he has good stats and actually a pretty decent effect too. But yeah, Duty yeah, Survivor. That's, that's old school. That's old school. Yeah. By the yeah, way, his artwork was crazy. Ulti Duty Survivor looks amazing. Like Ulti yeah. Duty Survivor actually looks cracked. That card looks fucking insane. Uh, by the way, though. The barrier statues, because earlier in the podcast, I looked them up to see when they came out, because I was like, man, I feel like these cards are like over 15 years old. They came out in 06. Oh my goodness. Isn't that crazy? <laughs> yeah, that's that's a while. Like, I know I'm older than you. I'm not exactly sure how much older I am than you, but I feel like in 06, you had to be a kid, because I was a kid. Oh, what, 17 years? Yes. Yes, 17 uh, oh, years ago. 06, I was 13. Yeah, so you were very, very young in 06. Yeah. Yeah, and the barrier statues are still meta-breaking right now, and apparently going to get better, which I still just can't even... I can't even imagine. It's yeah. funny, though, because like in 06, they were unplayable. Yeah, you really can't use <laughs> yeah, them. Just, just trash. Yeah. Garbage. <laughs> they're not even playable in Edison. Like, Edison format is four years later, and they're still not playable. I can't think of a single deck in Edison format where I want to be like, Summon a barrier statue, set deep prison and bottomless and pass. Like that pretty much won't get you anywhere. They only became a problem because the game became so special summon heavy. Yeah. Because in Addison, you can just summon a car and just attack it. Like, yeah, they have low summon, stats. Summon Stratos. Because I think they have, what, a thousand defense? Yeah, I think they're a thousand. I like, think all of them are a thousand, a thousand, I think. You just you just beat it with literally any card. Like, you just summon Kalut. I don't have to half attack. Like, not Kalut, I'm sorry. Uh, Gale. Yep. <laughs> um, Kalu could beat them as well, though. But Kalu could beat them, yeah. Every everybody can beat them. Do you do you dabble in Edison at all? Do you know anything about the format, Rolly? Uh, if I did play, I would play the quick draw deck with Royal Flambeau guides and Blaze Accelerator. Okay, you like that? Yeah, uh, yeah, I like that. But I mean, I do know that the Black Queen deck is the best deck. It's so. outrageous. It is. Yeah. In I hindsight, it is just Whirlwind just should not be at two. Is is just the, is just the fact that the matter is that deck gets auto wins from just going whirlwind Shora or whirlwind Soroko or whirlwind Bora whatever whirlwind anything is kind crazy. Of yeah. I don't remember the deck list, but there was definitely people playing Blackwings back then. I guess they just got it wrong because yeah, they let not only did they not win the tournament. They let fucking they let gadgets beat them. So yeah, gadgets got second at the actual SJC Edison, and I just still, I just don't know how that happened. Like, is you know what I think happened? I think at that time people respected Machina Fortress too much. I think because when he came out, people were so scared of him yeah. and like bitched about him so much. I think they just respected him too much. Yeah, because when we play against gadgets now, like I played against gadgets actually two two or three weeks ago at locals, and. The guy did have a couple pluses on me in the beginning of the game, but by the end of the game, when I tell you, like, this is game one, by the end of game one, if you would have looked at how it started versus how it ended, it was such a stark contrast 
and where we were in the game. It got to a point where I'm pretty sure I had dark armed, uh, a blizzard in my hand, a Goyo guarded on the field. And I had like taken a gadget or something. And I had two back rows. One was starlight road. One was bottomless. And I'm just sitting there looking at him with a handful of what I only could assume were gadgets and whatever else. And it just ended so bad. But when it started, he was like summoning. He I, at one point he had three gadgets out and I had like almost nothing. And then I just started playing the game. It just got so bad. Yeah, I don't even know what makes the deck not as good, but it just doesn't do enough. I feel like I guess is the reason it just doesn't do enough. Like those pluses are, they're not real. Yeah, it's just like a fucking thirteen hundred monster. Yeah, it's just like okay, your guy's thirteen hundred. <laughs> like, sure, you searched out a fourteen hundred now, which is a bad stat to have in a format where Mystic Tomato and Shining Angel are played in triplicate. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, Edison is really fun. You should uh. If Yu-Gi-Oh ever gets too stale, because I know a lot of people, they, they take that time to dabble in Edison. It's a good time to do that. Like, whenever yeah, whenever cool. Modern is just not doing the best, you can just play Edison format. If you want some slower base games, some games where you get to... Edison is kind of disrespectful of a format, because you really get to play the person and not the game. And what I mean by that is, like, you mentioned Pro Heavy back then, right? Like, you can you can do stuff like that when the person you know in front of you is just not that good. You're like, um, <laughs> like it's a disrespectful format because you can just do stuff like charge at a library gate for Ryko and then just like set a Sangan and pop off on it because you know that they're like they're going to attack into it thinking that it's Ryko because what else would it be? And now I searched out Dandelion and now I have quick draw Dandelion in my hand and like, thank you. So it's a it's a really fun format in an in a interesting way and you could genuinely do things against people like he won't read this or he will read this and that's what I want him to do type of vibe. It's really fun. It's slow. It's been a, it's ahead. been a surge of like modern players that are playing it too that weren't yeah. even like playing in that format. Like they're playing it now because like the the modern format is just so stale. So. Yeah. And it's prob- I, go ahead. I was gonna say that's it's probably so interesting too for like a younger kid somebody that's eighteen right now that's into modern Yu-Gi-Oh! And all they know is, like, modern Yu-Gi-Oh! To go back and play, like, a new format, basically, in what would be Edison. And to play, because we all talk about how the game is so completely different from Edison to modern, but we watch that change happen. And so, like, we're, you know, being boomers and going back to what we enjoy. Yeah. But it's interesting for, like, an 18-year-old or even a 20-year-old to go, like, oh, this is... The same game, but a completely different game that yeah, I can try to feel like, mess with. It doesn't feel it's probably so interesting, though. Yeah, I know what happens to most people. And this happened to me, too. When I first started playing Edison, this, uh, I guess not this year anymore, last year. I started playing Edison last year. And I remember realizing that all the decks are trash. Like, all of them are bad. <laughs> and and that is because the last format I played was Zoo. That was when I quit Yu-Gi-Oh. I quit Yu-Gi-Oh at the, I guess, the end of Zoo format. So right before Lynx came out is when I quit. I never, up until a point, I never Lynx summoned. Uh, and Zoo was ridiculous. Like, Zoo is, I mean, Zoo is arguably one of the best decks, if not the best deck ever. Like, Zoo is that crazy. And so playing Zoo and then going all the way back to 2010 where, like, bot, like traps are good. Traps are simply good in Edison. Like, they're actually, it took me so long to accept the fact that like setting back rows is a good thing in that format. Like it actually wins you games by setting traps. And that was the mindset of a modern player trying to go back 
Uh, but then you come to realize after a while, you're like, wait a second, all of these ducks actually just suck. Like they all actually suck for one reason or the other, either for consistency issues that they all have, or just they don't do enough. Like the gadget deck just doesn't do enough in a modern in a modern format of Edison. It doesn't do enough. It's like, yeah, this is a plus one, but it's you're not really getting anything. Um and that kind of just continues to be the way I feel about the format, even though I find it really fun, I just feel like all the decks are one or two cards away from being broken. And I, I use the example every time of X Sabers, if they had Dark Soul, uh, obviously Ronin Tonin, if that was out, the Frog deck with Substitute would be insane. In fact, it becomes an FTK when that card comes out the next month. Uh, plants with Scrap Dragon would be ridiculous. Plants with Glow Bulb, Spore, Trishula. All of those things, they would they would just be ridiculous. And it the list goes on. Like you can just keep on you like add one card to every deck in Edison format, and it just makes the deck so much more outrageous. And it would define the entire format. But because all the decks are missing something or some things, there's no even the best deck, which I believe is Black Wings, even that deck, it isn't so high above everything else that there's no reason to play anything else. And I think that that is a good thing. Because if it ever gets to a point where you discover that one deck is just literally above all and there's no reason to play anything else, then what's the difference between playing this format or modern? Yeah. So it's good that you can get away with playing. Like, people like playing Lysworn. Silverman, he loves the casino. So when he plays, he prefers to play Lysworn because he just wants to fucking sit down and high roll you. He doesn't really want to duel you. He wants to cold wave JD you. And that's where he gets fun. Like, I, I want to sit there and be low-key disrespectful and just outplay you and win that way, like a slow grind. I took away all your cards over time, and that's where I get my pleasure, and everybody gets something different. Some people just like playing with a bunch of ultis. Like, there are people who go to my locals, and they just have the whole quick draw deck, and every single card in it that can be ultis, ulti. The Caiuses, uh, like, everything. The whole extra deck is ulti. The, the Dandelions are ulti. The Debris Dragons, I think they come ulti as well. Uh, everything that can be ulti, they just have it. Pot of Avarice, and it looks really nice. Titanium, everything looks amazing. And now people are playing Volcanic Shell, so I like the fact that people play Edison for so many different reasons. They play it to play their favorite deck. They play it because they like a slow game. They play it because they like the rarities of the old cards, because ulti's, in, in my opinion, ulti's my favorite rarity. Uh, what's your favorite rarity, Rolly? Uh, super. And super specifically, nice. And specifically, Super Foolish Burial. Mm, that's a good one. And Super Book of Moon, close second. Super Book of Moon is also nice. I really like Super Bottomless Trap Hole. Very expensive card, by the way. Uh, very expensive. Uh, Super Trap mm-hmm. Dust Shoot, which I believe is like a $500 card now. Uh, super Compulse. Super Compulse. A lot of the Supers in Edison format, they look so clean. Like, they just look so... Super Lone Fire Blossoms. Uh, yeah, there's a lot. So I really... I really rarity like, is common. <laughs> you ass. <laughs> I just... I love... You know what I mean? Just give me, give me the comments. I will say this, though, on a positive note, for people who still have not made the leap into Edison format, every single deck comes common because the, the cards That's are so old. Damn right it does. Everything is common. Everything is also hollow, too, which I actually like that part. I like the fact that my Blackwing deck, all 55 of my cards in my main deck are literally hollow. I don't play anything that's not foil. Like, if it's not foil, it's not in my deck. My whole deck is all common. My cards ain't gonna bend. <laughs> Right. <laughs> my cards will stay flat I'm still waiting for them to print uh, Cold Wave is, it doesn't have a holographic print yet uh, Substitute I believe is still only rare 
Uh, what else is just stuck like that? There's a couple cards in Edison that are just, they only come common or rare, which kind of, oh, Spine Gilman. Spine Gilman is mm. a big one because he's actually played. So Cold Wave, Spine Gilman, and Substitute are three of the, the main cards that I can think about from Edison format. That they don't have a, a holographic version yet. And Konami's been low-key printing a lot of Edison cards in various packs and making them different rarities. Like, we got Super Rare Herald of Orange Light recently and Super Rare Caius, which is not a modern card at all. So that was a blatant gift to the people who play Edison. So I want them to keep doing that. I like that. That'd be cool. Yeah, we were talking about if they, they should just make, like, an Edison pack. But uh, if they just did... If they just slowly, in their new packs, add some of the Edison cards into it just for fucking fun, like, here you go. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I want, I want, I want Edison to continue to grow uh, just as much as modern. Like, I like that both formats can literally grow in tandem with each other. And there's really not a competition on, you know, oh, this format is, like, better or worse or whatever. You just, you play which one you want. They're different games. They're not, one of them is Yu-Gi-Oh! And the other one is, is Yu-Gi-Oh! Neo or whatever you want to call it. It's like literally two different games. I always consider modern to be like, literally doesn't feel the same. All right. You're on motorcycles. <laughs> yeah, it, it's, it's not the same at all. The game is over in two times. Yep. And sometimes, sometimes Edison does that too. Like very, it's rare, but sometimes games are over. Like you get those trap death shoot games or whirlwind games. Or, you or just, future fusion. Future fusion is definitely one of them. Yeah, that card's insane. Uh, especially pre errata because people were probably looking at Future Fusion in Modern, and it was like, this card sucks, but in the old Future Fusion is instant. Like, you play it, and you send cards from your deck to the grave immediately, so it's a foolish burial on crack. It's yeah, Brionic and Goyo Guardian are better. Yes. Yeah, Brionic is insane in this format. Uh, there's a lot. There's a lot going on. But, alright, before we wrap this one up, I do want to give a shout-out to the people on our Patreon uh, real quick, so let me pull up that list. Just God, there's 45 of you people. Thank you so much for supporting the I Am There podcast. But this is this is getting to the point where it's a lot. Like it is a lot to say all these yes. names. So I'm gonna go through. Yes. I'm Keep gonna go going. through it, and then I'm gonna have to figure out a method. So maybe I'll voice record myself just saying all the names mm. at some point and just insert the clip. But all right, we got Connie, Austin, Leon, Quest, Garen, Xavier, Hylian, Dimitri Barnes, Alexander Brissett. Vinny Casello, Giovanni Avalos, Alex Flamer, Ari Reynolds, CJ, Dub K Dad One, Dan Vrabel, First to Home, Dalos Fernaris, Estadakuma, Mitchell Nels, Midwest Gaming, William Shapiro, Dimitri Safiridis, Vince Marquette, Dallas Bailey, Roz Weiss, Nick Stango, Hansu, our two-time national champion, Vincent Zen, Sarah Maria, Sunny Top Cut Podcast, Alex Ahern, Philip Campa, Jalen Haskins, Arale Melfi Slump, Keith Fuller, aka King Petty, Chris Lynn, Jeff Lang, Blake Jeffrey Smith. Connor LK, MSW2389, Edison Club, Kyle Potelho, uh, Brandon Moore, and Sugal. Thank you guys so much for joining the podcast. Mm. I just recently put up more content for our two masters and mastering the pupil series on Patreon. So that stuff, a lot of it is exclusive to just Patreon. There are at least 10 episodes of mastering the pupil that are only accessible on our Patreon, as well as video versions of the podcast that are only available on Patreon. So if you're interested in that, check that out. And I've been dropping a lot of videos that are only Patreon exclusive. So, And if you want to make reading the names at the end of the episode get ridiculous, keep adding more people to the Patreon. Maybe what we'll do is Fraser will read the first 50, and I'll read the next 50. <laughs> so get us to 100, and then you can hear me butcher your fucking names for 50 <laughs> names in a row. I'll have fun with it, too. <laughs> 
Oh God, that's that's great. Uh, okay, so let me give you guys before we get out of here. I want to give a quick little roadmap on where the Amner podcast is going uh, these next couple of weeks because we do have a lot of content coming out and we're going to be doing some anime stuff. So we have uh, Last of Us will be the next episode of the podcast because that premiere was the show. The we'll show. mention the video game, but me and Fraser haven't played the video game. Right. We haven't played the video game, but we do have someone who has played the video game uh, as a guest for that episode. So Majora will be returning for that one and we'll be doing The Last of Us, which is... The for episode one was amazing. I can't wait to talk about it. I have so much to say about it. Uh, comparing it to The Walking Dead, which is a show that I used to like a lot. And I just think that the premiere, it's on HBO. HBO is one of my favorite networks because they just literally show whatever they feel like is necessary. And a lot of times I agree with them. Uh, so Last of Us is the next episode. Then we're planning to do Bleach, the newest season, the thousand year blood war arc. Uh, we'll cover that. And then we still have things like Chainsaw Man to go through, My Hero Academia, uh, Mob Psycho is officially over, so we'll be covering that. So we have a lot going on, as well as we said we're going to have Scott Page returning to the podcast, uh, so he'll be yep. back. And yeah, Steve Silverman Probably. actually has promised to come on for to finish out the the you're going to finish that team. I'll sneak in a way to talk about the Fire Emblem game that comes out this Friday, and um, also I just heard last night that the Attack on Titan final season is officially going to come out in two parts. I know this is insane. This but, is wild. But not not in a way where it's going to be a whole nother season. You know, um, they do like mid-season breaks and they yeah. bring it back. I think that's what they're doing for the final, the final, final, for final, for final, final season. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, final season part eight will be coming out this year. So I'm really excited about that, too. We that obviously final season part eight will have a part one and part two. So it'll be final <laughs> season part eight, part two. <laughs> I'm so annoyed with uh, Attack on Titan at this point, but it's one of my favorites. Go ahead. What were you going to say? Oh, and at the end, I just want to slide in. Um, free me. Free Chris James. Free Carl Manigat. But they can keep Andres Torres bang because he snitched on Carl and we don't fuck with him. Free <laughs> <laughs> hey, my boys. Yeah, I definitely feel like... Some people are banned that, you know, I'm not I'm not sure of all the circumstances, but it does sound like some of those just might not have been actually warranted. Uh, I mean, you you know, I I got canceled, but I mean, it just be like that. Life is life. Yeah, life is life, man. Well, if you want to give a shout out to anybody also, uh, Roly, feel free to give a shout out to anybody or any locals or anything that you want to just come shout out to. Shout out X, even though he act like he can't speak. Shout out Gus, cause he gonna shout out Gus, cause he gonna bitch if I don't shout him out on your podcast. (laughs) Weird like that. (laughs) Shout out, shout out Jeff Strain. That is one of my favorite white people. Shout out Ned (laughs) Salkovich. He probably won't see this clearly. Uh, Shout out Steve Silverman. He's my favorite fat white person. Shout out Fraser, of course. <laughs> and... <laughs> and we just cut out a whole lot before you heard my shout out. <laughs> but I don't do edits, so it might be on the Patreon. On Patreon, <laughs> you can hear yeah. all of the shout out. You can hear the raw yeah. on Patreon. That's right. That we don't edit the podcast on Patreon at all. Hey, it is the raw. Hey, hey, it is the it. raw actual episode. There is no <laughs> editing whatsoever. So every 
single thing so I said. You'll be able to you'll be able to hear some things that aren't in you know. There are <laughs> definitely some things that will not make it into the Spotify <laughs> slash Apple Podcast slash Amazon it's, Podcast episode. But it is very much worth the Patreon. You can get some free. <laughs> I, you can get some free insight on who not to be. I, 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 you know what? I love that. Thank you for uh, putting our Patreon on and giving people Hell something, yeah. something else to subscribe to. Uh, all right. Thank you so much, Rolly, for coming on the podcast. I really uh, enjoyed this. I enjoyed having you I appreciate you all for having me. It was yes. awesome. Yep. So we'll have to bring you back sometime. We could, when I'm about to decide to start doing fashion content, because I know people have been asking about that. Oh, oh yes, please. I please. feel like, I, I feel like it would only be right to bring you back for the fashion content episode I, as well. I'll t- I'll take some of my Instagram photos off private. They can see a criminal. (laughs) (laughs) All right, y'all. As I always say, do the things that make you happy, including chilling with one of the funnest people in Yu-Gi-Oh! And uh, as I always say, you know, we'll catch you in the next one. Peace. Good night, peace out, good day, and good week. Thank you.